And now, our feature presentation. I like it spooky. Welcome to I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I am Clint. And this episode, not only in a little bit, are we going to discuss something I'm very excited about and a very timely new movie. But if you stick around to the end of the episode, you are finally going to hear what I've been teasing for the past few episodes. I've got late breaking news that I think is exciting. I hope you do too. But before we get to that late breaking news, let's get to some horror news. So my news, with the end of the strike, that's exciting news. Finally. Has to do with films that came out during the strike. Well, one of them came out during the strike. We got news on Five Nights at Freddy's just surpassed 200 million. 100 million, sorry. Oh, 200 million worldwide. It's made a lot of fucking money. That's all I know. <laughs> I took Finley, she's five, she kept asking to see it and see it and see it every day for a week. And I'm like, it's PG-13, it can't be that bad. I took her, she hit her eyes a couple times, but there wasn't a lot of blood or guts. The story was interesting enough that I wasn't bored out of my mind. She enjoyed it, the characters were cool, the ending was a nice twist, and it's made a lot of money. I mean, any interest in seeing Five Nights at Freddy's client? No, I do because I've I've seen Willy's Wonderland with uh, Nick Cage, which I can only assume and I've read that it's very similar. And I want to see Spirit Halloween, which is out now. I think it's on AMC+. Plus. Yeah, it's on Shudder. So I've been trying to carve out some time to, to see it. But I can only imagine all three of those movies are really similar. So, And Five Nights at Freddy making a bunch of money, it makes sense because it's already got this built-in audience. That Five Nights at Freddy, that's been around for at least five years, if not more, right? With the toys and the, the show and all that stuff. Well, and the, the game. I mean, the game's where it all started, where people would record themselves playing the game or watching other people playing the game, and the creatures jump out, and everybody, ah, screams real loud, and, you know, falls off their chairs, and people laugh, and that's how it became popular. Just a generation of kids watching people play the game or playing the game and recording themselves having reactions to the game. Yeah, I've never played the thing. No, I haven't either. And that's why I kind of, I don't really know what I'm talking about because I just know it exists and it has a following and I've seen toys and I knew I had some type of show or whatever, you know. So my, my question to you, Brian, is you've seen Willie's Wonderland also, right? I have not seen that one. Okay. I thought you did. I was going to ask what you thought as far as the similarities. So I'll have to check it out. I would imagine Nicolas Cage being in Willie's Wonderland. It's a little different. You know, it's a little more our lane than Five Nights at Freddy's. I mean, you have to take it for what it's worth. It's a PG-13 movie made for a generation or two before ours. It's not made for us. It's not made for 45-year-olds that like scary movies or people that love gore or your hardcore horror fans. It's made for kids. It's PG-13. You know, I, I've seen a lot of people bashing it because it's not scary enough or it's not bloody enough or it's this or that or the other. It's made for kids. My other news also dealing with movies is Godzilla Minus One, which is not here in the United States yet. It'll be debuting December 3rd. 
already got some listings in local theaters around me. Might have to drive an hour. I'm hoping it does come to the local theater, but I will drive an hour. It's grossed over a billion yen, which was about 7.8 million, if I understand it right. It's one of the largest openings in IMAX history in Japan. Yeah, it says it took in 1.2 million on just 49 screens, landing the top IMAX opening ever for a live action Japanese title. It's going to be more along the lines of Shin Godzilla. I don't know if any of our listeners have seen that. That was more about politics, not so much Godzilla, and how the country and the Japanese government handled the situation and handled it wrong. You know, that's what they do in these movies. But this one actually takes place in the 1940s after the bombs are dropped in Japan. So, you know, you're already dealing with this huge disaster, and then Godzilla shows up. So I would imagine it's just carnage and death and destruction Um, it'll be subtitled but it's a godzilla movie i don't think you need to really pay attention to what they're saying most of the time a couple things one and as i got to backtrack because while you were talking i was looking up um what willie's wonderland was rated because i couldn't remember because i know it's really not a bad movie um i think there's some language and of course there's some blood and guts but it was rated tvma so i don't know how that equates to pg-13 to me it's about the same thing as far as the Godzilla stuff, it's no secret if you've listened to any of these episodes, listened to us talk before, I'm not really the big Godzilla fan that Brian is. But with that said, I've seen footage, I've seen still frames of this Godzilla film that you're talking about, and it has my interest. I think that an American audience who might, you know, know everybody knows Godzilla, you know, Jaws, you know, Godzilla is just kind of part of pop culture, but your American audience who doesn't necessarily get into that, my brain automatically goes to like Godzilla. 2000 where the soundtrack was Led Zeppelin and P. Diddy, you know what I mean? Which I thought was just very uh, Jurassic Park and just cheesy and stuff. This film, the stuff I've seen, it looks beautiful. It looks a little dark. It looks a little edgy. And just because of the images, I want to see the movie and I actually probably will. When you go back to Shin Godzilla compared to what they've done with Godzilla vs. Kong, Godzilla vs. Kong is more monster-driven, I believe. You know, it appears to be more about the CGI and the fights between Godzilla and Kong. There's a little story mixed in there, but these are more story-driven. Godzilla is almost... Almost like Halloween. You know how the original Halloween, there's not much Michael Myers in it? That's how I feel like these are with the Shin Godzilla and this new Godzilla movie will be. There's always that fear of Godzilla, but a lot of the story is how the people in the area interact with that and how they deal with it. Yeah, the poster looks amazing. It looks more realistic and less cartoony. And when I say cartoony, I don't mean original Godzilla where it's a guy in a zipper suit stomping on Tonka trucks and toy trains. It just... It doesn't look cheesy like Godzilla 2000. I am excited to see it. We'll have to watch it together, Brian. In a D-box? <laughs> you imagine watching that? <laughs> well, in that case, we'll have to have Jason there, too. We'll have to invite him so we can watch it start to shake and all his popcorn. and We can watch his belly jiggle, and it'll be fun. That'd be the whole damn movie. You wouldn't even get a, any popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Just shaking around, trying to catch what's flinging up in the air. So what news you got? So mine's uh, about Ghostbusters, Frozen Empire. The trailer's been out for a couple weeks now. I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. A lot of articles all over the place about it. If you haven't seen the trailer, hell, just Google Ghostbusters Frozen Empire trailer because I am curious what everybody thinks. It says here, Frozen Empire trailer delivers a death chill, according to this iHorror.com article. It says here that Jason Reitman, Retman, 
who uh, directed Ghostbusters Afterlife, the son of Ivan, who directed the first and second films. He's not returning, although he does have a writing credit. It says, stepping in is director Gil Kennan, who has a lot to live up to. He has helmed Monster House, Poltergeist 2015, and A Boy Called Christmas, which I don't know anything about A Boy Called Christmas. But here is my take on this trailer. It's the first Ghostbusters that I have ever seen that's serious and scary looking. I mean, it's about this 20 foot tall, dark, shadowy demon with red eyes that blows in in New York in this big storm. And with it brings just this like ice age. And there's already jokes about it's it's a pissed off Elsa from Frozen, Disney's Frozen. But all these ice spikes are coming up out of the ground, out of the buildings, just everywhere. I mean, it's impaling people. And in the trailer, they discuss about how this evil entity that's trying to overtake New York causes, um, I forget exactly what it's called, but like the icy uh, stare of death and you're, you're frozen to death. And the last thing you see is your frozen teardrop. The whole thing for a Ghostbusters film is very dark, very edgy. And then, the, you know, Paul Rudd's in it, and it looks like he's there to maybe kind of balance and keep it a little comical. But, yeah, it's just, I, I can't, I, I got to see it just because it looks creepy as shit. Well, I know what I'm going to do after this recording. Watch the trailer. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a the right direction to go. You want to be more serious, kind of get away from the humor maybe a little bit so that you can kind of find your own footing away from the original films and continue it? I think so. I think it's, a, I don't know if it's necessary. I don't know how to say this. I, I'm interested to see it. To me, what I got from that trailer, it looks like Ghostbusters is, is going to explore a little bit of uncharted territory. And God bless them. It's almost like a band whose you know next album is evolving into something different. And why not cater to a little more of the horror audience, which it looks like it's going to do. Hopefully they can do it well enough that younger people can still appreciate it and watch it, but an older audience can get something new out of it. I know it's going to get my money and it sounds like I've, I've got your interest enough where it's going to get yours. There's a lot. I feel like with this strike ending, that's going to take my money. I don't have any. Do you have any money? No, I'm broke now. And it's almost Christmas time. And I got to buy a turkey for Thanksgiving. <laughs> So on this episode of Why Are We So Poor, my trip to Bath and Body Works. No. <laughs> so it's after this episode, we've just all been so busy or before this episode, we've just been so busy with Halloween ending and the holiday season starting and trying to fight off Mariah Carey. Uh, <laughs> the demon of Mariah Carey has been attacking all of our homes. I did do some shopping, though, and I picked up. I'll share this on our social media, but it's a oh, it's probably 10 inches tall. It's a golden goblet. It's got skulls and spiders and red rubies, and it's got blood pouring over the top. It was on clearance for 10 bucks from $40. It's just a candle holder. That's all it is. But I mean, I couldn't pass it up for 10 bucks. And the funny thing is, I go in and they had the wall plugs on sale for $3. So Tiffany's like, well, let's go in there. So there's a girl standing up front, and you know how they're always like, you want a basket? You want a basket? You want a basket? You ever go in there? I don't go to Bath and Body Works. 
if you don't have a basket, you're going to be asked if you want a basket by every person that works there. So I said, no, they have a basket. I said, do you have any Halloween stuff left? And the girl says, over there is the last little bit of Halloween stuff left. She said, I've already bought one of everything because it was on clearance for like 70% off. And I go over and there's one of these left. So I grab it and I'm carrying it around. She's like, oh, you got the last one? I said, yeah. She said, I bought one of those. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I said, well, I'm going to put mine in my office where I record my podcast and I have it's Halloween all year round. And she said, you have a podcast? And I was like, yeah. She said, oh, I'd love to listen. And I said, here's a card. <laughs> We're carnies now. Isn't it just so <laughs> yes. easy and natural to bring it up in conversation? You're not even really trying to, but when you do, you're like, yeah, I just sold something. All right. I was like, flip it over, scan the QR code on the back. It'll take you right to the show. You can listen. Let us know what you think. And I said, I'll even talk about the getting this and that, you know, you wanted to listen to the podcast. I meant to get her name, but, you know, I got busy looking at other stuff in the store and yeah, who goes to Bath and Body Works and gives out a card for their scary movie podcast? Well, that's a cool story. I guess I'll have to start shopping at Bath and Body Works. So the other thing, one of the other things I got, and I got this a couple weeks ago, and I showed this to you already. I don't buy pop figures very often. They have a Toxic Avenger pop. It's a limited edition fall convention, and it glows in the dark. So, of course, I couldn't pass that up. I mean, like I said, I only have like three pops left, maybe. I've sold most of them. But a Toxic Avenger one? That's a, a pop figure that I would pick up. What glows in the dark? Does Toxie as a whole or just the, the Toxic Mop there? I think the Mop and maybe some of his clothes. I haven't really paid attention to it. It's under the cabinet there with the other two that I own. Gotcha. It probably doesn't get a lot of light then where you've got it. No, I should set it out in the light and have it glow. And then here's the other thing. So we had our work thanksmas. Christmas, Thanksgiving kind of get together. We tried to do it earlier in the year before everybody gets busy. The doctor I work for had us all ornaments made. This is one of mine. I'll share these on social. It's got my name on the back with the initial. And here's the front. Oh, I'm jealous. Harry Warden from My Bloody Valentine. And then, of course, the front, your name is like in dripping blood and there's little bloody red handprints all over the thing. I'm jealous. That's cool as hell. So there's one of them I got. I'll show Finley's next. It's got her name there, the F. Hers is not dripping in blood. Here's the back of hers. Ooh, Godzilla. And it's all different colors. She should like that. And here's my other one. Any guesses what's on the front of this one? There's my name again. Is that like a monster eye? Your name's red in blood. Oh, it's a Return of the Living Dead. I would have never guessed that. I see now with the green, with the trioxin swirling around. Wow. Did they have the, is that like a specific company they went to or is it just someone they know who? One of our people that comes in the office makes these. You need to, if they're looking for more business, I would love to share their info on the show or on our socials because all of those are amazing. I want some. I don't want mine to say Brian, but I'll take it if that's all I can get. I have so much other stuff. I mean, I have boxes of movies over here from Vinegar Syndrome and Ronin Flicks and stuff that I haven't even opened. But I was like, I'm going to show this stuff. It's way Nothing against movies, but I talk about movies a lot. You know, everybody can buy movies. This is something different that not everybody's going to have. No, I can't wait for you to put those on social media because I tell you what, Brian, you've got some fancy balls, my friend. Fancy balls. What about you? Did you get any candle holders? 
I didn't. I tell you what, though, I wish I did. So that candle holder, the goblet candle holder that you showed, it's really cool. It looks heavy. And when you first brought it up, I'm looking at it and it does. It looks like the thing that's over with all the cheesy Halloween crap that you don't want. But that catches your eye and you're like, that looks really cool. I, I need to have that. And I love the dripping blood from the top. I love the, the detail. So I might have to go to my Bath and Body Works and see if it's they've got one. But I only got one thing this time around, and that is just uh, volume three of uh, Creepshow came out. And so I ran down to the comic shop and picked that up. Still haven't had a chance to read through any of them, but I love looking at the pretty artwork. Haven't picked up any of the variant covers. Haven't really tried to. Haven't had time to search for them, although I've seen a lot of really cool variant cover artwork floating around online. But that's it. Saving up for, uh, you know, Christmas is right around the corner. I did buy myself a new pair of shoes. I don't know. That's nothing to really talk about. I needed some of those. Uh, but yeah, it's time to spend money on other people and not myself. So that's about it. Well, with this actor's uh, writer strike ending i feel like they're just gonna get flooded with movie after movie that we want to see either streaming or going to the theater so that's going to take a ton of money well it is you know what what I, i'm interested is you, you know our last interview where we interviewed sylvia kaminer the director of follow her and we were talking about that in our interview with her and i brought up yeah you know in the 60s was the last time that wga and sag was both on strike and if you remember around the time that strike ended it was this great influx of movies and she's like oh yeah because all these writers aren't working right now so they're writing for themselves so she alluded to she feels that when the strike ends which it just did eventually we're going to get flooded with all these great projects and bring it on i'm like a, a kid in a candy store Six billion dollar hit to the economy of California is what they're saying. I was going to cover that in the news or on the, this news here on this episode, but I covered it at length on a Spill the Guts episode not that long ago, so I didn't want to be repetitive. But yeah, isn't that crazy? Six billion dollar estimate of a hit to the economy of just California. I haven't lost six billion dollars, but I've lost some money lately. Think we could get some money somewhere? Let's take it to a sponsor. The Global Community for Podcasts, Good Pods is a fast-growing, award-winning free podcast player and discovery app where you can listen to, discover, and share all your favorite podcasts and shows. Available on iPhone and Android app stores or at goodpods.com, it is the place to follow your friends, discover new podcasts, track your podcast listens, and bookmark new podcasts for later. Sign up today for your free account at goodpods.com. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, it's time for our movie. In this, the year of our Lord, 1620, the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. Fast forward to 2022 and the tragic events of Thanksgiving night. Isn't this 2023? Yeah, but they happened a year ago. And we're flashing forward to this year. So, I mean, the movie starts last year. I don't know. They don't really give a date, but we're talking about Thanksgiving, the new Eli Roth movie. Gobble, gobble, motherfucker. So the movie opens with Thanksgiving night, Black Friday. Wait, wait, spoilers. A lot of them. This will contain spoilers. We have to put that out there since this movie, as of this recording, just came out like two days ago. Okay, take it away, Brian. So yeah, a lot of spoilers. If you have not seen this movie, go see this movie and then listen to the podcast. If you don't want to see this movie, just listen to the fucking podcast. If you want to piss your friends off, play it for them. <laughs> I don't. So the movie starts Thanksgiving night, Black Friday morning, because what he says, shopping starts at like six o'clock. 
And you're in Plymouth, Massachusetts. I gathered the years 2022. Maybe it's a couple of years ago, but it's the right way. What was the name? I don't even remember the name of the store. Yeah, I think it was it was right where right mart. Right, Mark. Any small local store that would be comparable to like a Target or a Walmart, which they couldn't use. They're having a Black Friday sale. The first hundred customers get a free waffle maker. People are going ape shit. That's worth bashing people's brains in over. You know, they have a couple security guards. The sheriff shows up. Some kids that the one girl, her dad owns the store. So they sneak around the back. The people with Boston accents get pissed. And start rioting. The crowd was unruly before they showed up. It was kind of comical. And it was also just kind of, you know, a comment on society today. Although I think, you know, I don't know. I've never gone Black Friday shopping. I don't know about you. I know people who have. And I think that's just kind of an old stigma. I don't think it's like that anymore, is it? I don't think it's like that anymore with the internet because there's so much and a lot of places don't do it like that anymore. I did work at Walmart the year that Furby came out. And a lady got pushed to the ground and her arm broke. So, I mean, there were people like that. I mean, when the Cabbage Patch dolls came out, it wasn't Black Friday, but there was people assaulting people for Cabbage Patch dolls or Nintendos or Nintendo Switches. But now it's like Amazon has Black Friday all week. I mean, Walmart slowly rolls theirs out all week, Target the same thing. You get Cyber Monday. But in Eli Ross and Eli Ross Thanksgiving at Right Mart, People are slicing their own throats on broken glass trying to get through. It was like a bunch of zombies running over their faces with carts and ripping their brains off. It was gory wonderfulness. So another comment on society is one of the kids gets up on the register is recording on his phone all of the action. Not giving a fuck about people dying, their arms getting broken their brains getting bashed in, any of that. He's just recording everything, and it's continually shared on the internet over and over and over again. The kid with the golden arm breaks his arm, you know, ends his baseball career. Just a lot of people got killed. So before we get to Right Mart, the movie actually, it opens up as a a classic early 80s slasher. And I was excited. You know, I had the visual of the front door of a house and your first person perspective and you hear the heavy breathing. But even as it got past that opening scene and we get through the hook of the beginning with the Right Mart and everything, it just... The entire hook, it was like textbook 80s slasher. It was clearly set in modern times, though, which I don't recall ever seeing that. Usually when you see films like that, they're period pieces set back in the 80s or the 70s. So, I mean, kudos right there. But it was also that cool 80s where it was like the quick introductions to a really large cast. It was full of the really quick dialogue and the setups. And There's lots of energy and it's just kind of boom, 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 all happening. So when I sat down and the, you know the film started rolling, I thought I was getting a strictly early 80s slasher and then of course it flipped a little bit yeah so you meet the sheriff and then you meet one of the managers from the store and his wife and some family the sheriff's lost somebody i gather he sounded like he hadn't left the house in a while maybe and then the guy that's the manager of course gets called into work because somebody else didn't go to work so he has to go in on his night off which is thanksgiving night he can't eat turkey then you go to this group of kids or just being assholes. I mean, they they start you off real quick with not liking these kids. You know, they're like, oh, I punched so-and-so in the face. And just typical for us teenage kids that are 
just kind of jerks and annoying, you know, stuff we all did when we were teenagers or maybe some of us. But, you know, we acted like that. I didn't. I wasn't a jock or anything, but that is typical teenage behavior, I feel like. I was usually pretty stoned back then. Well, and the one kid's like, I want to go to the store to get a phone. My phone's broken or got lost or something. And uh, they're like, what do you need a phone for? And he's like, well, how am I going to text somebody during the movie? You're like, you fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, God, I want somebody to punch you. You know, and then, of course, all the, the stuff we kind of talked about a second ago breaks down. The crowd bursts through the, the glass and gets in. And what's crazy about the insanity of the whole scene at Right Mart, it was funny. It was over the top. And Brian, I don't know if you feel this way, but somehow it remains somewhat realistic. Meaning, like when the one lady gets her head ran over by the card and it rips her scalp off, you could see that happening. I mean, it was over the top by far but I, it, it all made sense. The Probably the funniest part was the lady that runs the girl over with the cart or on the way out, looks at the kid that's recording and is like, you're an asshole, and just runs <laughs> yeah. out with her waffle maker. He's just recording. I mean, he's an asshole, but you just killed somebody. I mean, you just got your waffle maker and you're gone. And then that's it. The, uh, the excitement of the movie is pretty much over because as far as I'm concerned, until it got to the end, it was boring. The middle of the movie got ridiculously boring very quick. It had long drawn out scenes, extended whodunit scenes, and I was just, I was twiddling my thumbs. Yeah, there was some okay kills. I mean, there was some fun kills. Unfortunately, my favorite kill happened first. The, my favorite kill was the first kill where the, you know, the waitress. That was kind of wonky, too, though. I get it was the heavy steel top to the dumpster, but the gore, it was fun. But it was very few and far between. And, you know, and somehow, even though it was fun, it was really campy and kind of whimsical. And I don't know, I just didn't feel that it, the execution of the a lot of the gore, again, that was few and far between. I didn't feel fit the tone of the movie and just made it kind of weird. Even the, the trampoline the trampoline scene, I'm jumping way around now, but that whole kill scene and the gore, was it was weak. They didn't do that right. I mean, the we'll get to that kill eventually, but the waitress is the first victim. He's killing the people from the store that night, the killer. For some reason, vengeance, I gather. We don't know until the end why. He's killing the people that were at the store that night. And he starts with the waitress who was the girl that gets the waffle maker that calls the guy an asshole for recording. She was present at the store. She was one of the main antagonists during the riot. She's the first one to go. And that's no big loss because she's rude. She's a secondary character also. so But she's just rude. You know, you don't, to me, miss any of these people. That was another thing. Like, until late in the movie, none of the deaths felt like they mattered to me. No, I've got that somewhere in my notes, too, so I'll probably repeat it when we get to it in a bit. I didn't care about any of the characters. Throughout the whole movie, I didn't I didn't give two shits about anybody. But I did. I said the, the waitress was a secondary character. I do take that back to a degree because she was the one who introduced the John Carver masks. Because she was, it was in celebration of Thanksgiving. So she had done up a whole, or had a, a lot of these John Carver masks. So you get John Carver, he kills her. He, what's he do? I don't even remember what he does first, but he puts her face in the water in her hand and then he opens the door and sticks her face to the freezer. So she's stuck there for a while. She somehow gets away. She gets outside. She's looking for her keys. Um, John Carver is in the car and she goes to climb in the dumpster and he hits the dumpster. The lid falls and it splits her in half. He then proceeds to take the bottom half of her body and put it up on the sign at the store. At the, the right mark. 
Yeah, on the right mark. So we have the serial killer. He's killing people. He's staging their bodies at the right mark. The second person to die, again, you know, you get some filler with the kids and the dad that's all the owner of the store and how he's trying to help the community heal from this tragedy. He started a foundation for scholarships and he redid this park. But again, the second day, the second death is the security guard who got scared and probably for 15, 25 an hour was like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. You can't blame the guy. I mean, for that, for 50, I'm sure he's getting minimum wage and there's two security guards. I don't blame the guy for running. What would any logical person do? And you know, the only thing, because again, I didn't care about any of the characters. The only thing I took from that scene was uh, if you listened to our recent first episode of Indie Spotlight and we covered the movie Darius, we get into a conversation with Leah Stalker up here macabre about cats. And here you've got John Carver, this, or the serial killer dressed up as John Carver, kills the security guard in his apartment, gets ready to leave, and the cat just kind of looks at him like, meow, and he kind of looks at the cat. And then they cut to a scene of him feeding the cat and petting its head. So the second kill is the security guard from the store, who to me did nothing wrong. I mean, it wasn't his fault that any of that happened. Any logical person would get out of the way and try to save ass, I think. What's he going to do? He's one guy and there's several hundred people rushing the store. He sticks a, you know, like the old electric turkey knife in his gut. And then he ties a string or whatever the, you know, the metal thing around him and cuts his head off, takes his head. So now he's got the top half of the waitress and this guy's head. And he's, in the meantime, sent all these kids a Instagram message or whatever social media there is a table setting. You know, the one kid with the golden arm has disappeared. He's not around anymore. The girl's dating the guy from Zombies 1, 2, and 3 on Disney. I was, I was wondering if you are going to see. I was looking at him. I'm like, God, who is? I know him. Then all of a sudden I was like, oh, shit, yes. Brian and I were talking about Disney Zombie not that long ago. You know, he's the Zed, the lead character in the three zombie movies that Finley loves. So I did come home and be like, your guy was in my movie. I went and seen and she said, I can't see that. I said, no, it's not appropriate for your age. You can't see it. He's in it, though. He's in the whole movie. He's the he's the final girl's new boyfriend because the other guy just kind of left town. And that, too, that was kind of one of the subplots where, again, this opened up as an early 80s slasher. And then by the middle of the movie even kind of like the very end of the, of the beginning of the movie, it turned into this late 90s, early 2000s slasher type movie. It was seamless enough to where I didn't notice it. I was just like, this is what's going on. And then as it went on, I was like, oh, okay, this this is emulating a different decade now. Almost like a black glove giallo film towards the end too. I mean, we'll get to that, but like turned into a whodunit. It did turn into a whodunit. And, you know, actually, even too, for a brief time, it shifted to like a high-tech-ish Silence of the Lambs style flick. You had this small town feel and it quickly went away when like there you see the massive modern high school and this like large city looking style SWAT team. And then you find out that John Carver, he's got this high tech phone clone technology that was introduced and it just got real. The film was all over the place as far as the tone. So we're to the second kill. They want to, is this the area where they want to film the commercial and the 
Or was that? I don't remember. It gets muddled up in there where the dad, who's the owner of the store, wanted to film a commercial. He wanted to film it at one of the historic places in town. He goes in. It's vandalized. The axe is stolen, which is one of the main um, weapons used in the movie. That's another thing I didn't like. Pick a fucking weapon. Uh, An axe, a knife, a tranquilizer. Pick something. Predominantly, he used the axe, but then there was even a scene. I don't want to give away the whole scene. But there's a parade scene and you're looking for John Carver and there's people dressed up as John Carver all over the place. But then you find out the killer might be dressed up as somebody else. That whole scene right there, all I could think of was Batman. It reminded me of Batman. All the colored tear gas. It goes high tech again there. Tear gas and flash bombs and wandering way from the 80s slasher and more towards your 90s movies. Yeah, I don't know if he's trying to mix the genres like the 80s and 90s together. A lot of people have said they liked that he didn't go full grindhouse, but in hindsight, I almost wish that he would have picked a lane and stayed there. I agree. And even some of your poster art too, some of it emulates an early slasher style. Some of it emulates that I know you did last summer style type movie. I will say this. I really think that it was it was cool how he was able to take these different decades and kind of weave them together into a movie. With that said, I didn't enjoy it, but I appreciated what he was trying to do or even accomplished. But I think because of that, the story didn't get the focus it needed. And there, like I said, there's all these extended scenes. Now, luckily, though, it did pick up at the end as it should have. Um, but I'm repeating myself. The only problem was by then, I still didn't care about any of the characters. And I've always felt that Eli Roth has a, a problem with that with his films is that you just don't care about the characters. He is almost more a style-driven filmmaker as opposed to a story-driven filmmaker. Yeah, he loves his gore. Think about it, Brian. If those gore scenes weren't in this movie, would this movie be enjoyable at all? Oh, absolutely not. And with that said, like you say, like you say, this we're probably pissing people off because if you look online, and not just hype commercial bullshit, uh, Rotten Tomatoes has got an... Uh, you know, 90 score. If you look online, I'm reading comments and everybody seems to be in love with this film. I think it's because we haven't had a slasher in quite a while besides the same recycled, you know, Michael Myers Halloween stuff. Yeah, and the Scream. Yeah, and the Scream. But I mean, Scream seems to be going strong. There, Scream, everybody really seemed to enjoy Scream. I don't know. There, There's a guy sitting behind me in the theater, though. And towards the end of the movie, when the killer is revealed, I heard him say he was like to whoever he was sitting with, he was like, I didn't see that coming. And when he said that, all I could think about is, I don't fucking care. I don't care who the killer is. It wasn't, I wasn't like, oh my God. And usually in these movies, I just scream all the, even the last one, I'm sitting like, no, that's the killer. No, wait, that's the killer. No, wait, that's the killer. I didn't do that at all this time. I just was uninvested. Yeah, there was a guy that was sitting a couple rows in front of me. He screamed like a couple times, like in, not scared, but like, in laughter or enjoyment, like when the killer cuts the turkey's head off during the parade. Um, and then, yeah, the trampoline kill was absolutely fucking wasted because she's doing all these moves. And it's fine that he cuts her ankle, but for the love of God, if you have somebody doing the splits on a trampoline, I want to see a fucking knife go through their vagina up through them. Like, come on, what are we doing here? You sicko, you twisted bastard. No, but if you're going to go, go. Like, which, what lane are we picking? I agree, and I thought that's what was going to happen, because if you remember the Grindhouse trailer, that's what it was alluded to that was going to happen. I almost wonder what would have happened if he did stick to the Grindhouse. 
Well, do you know who was sitting next to me in the theater? I don't know. Nobody. This is the first movie I've ever gone by myself to see at the movie theater. It was kind of surreal. Was it? I went today by myself. Did you? I've never done that. I was single for a couple of years, and uh, I kind of had a Christmas Eve tradition where I'd just go to the movies by myself. Or Christmas Day, I was just like, I'm just going to go to the movies. I go to the movies quite a bit by myself. Finley and I went and seen Five Nights at Freddy's, just the two of us. I go with the kids all the time. So when you go to those Christmas movies by yourself, is it like on 42nd Street? You used to bump into Pee Wee Herman? Well, I mean, maybe. Not anymore, because, you know, Pee Wee passed. One of the reasons I'll go back to uh, repeat my point about how I just wasn't invested to any of the characters. There was a lot of jumping conflict with the characters. Um, and one of the examples was there was the one jock who earlier on in the movie, there was the, the gun selling party host guy who showed up in his truck and was like wanting to sell him a gun and trying to get him to come to the party. And the one jock who was dating the Russian blonde or the blonde with the Russian dad. Scuba. Yeah, Scuba. I couldn't remember his name. Thank you. And he hated him. He's like, I ought to kick your ass, motherfucker, and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, after some of the killings happen, they go to that party, Scuba and our heroine, which was her name, Jess? I think so, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, they were going there to get a gun for protection. But the way those two were talking to each other, it was like they were long lost friends. And there was all this, I care for you, take care of yourself, you too. And I'm like, you know, like 20 seconds ago, you guys wanted to bash each other's brains in, you know. The kid Scuba wanted to bash his brains in. The guy was just like, I got what you need if you need it. Like, I'm not mad at any of you. You know, he's like probably the most likable fucking character by the end of the movie is that guy. Yeah, I agree. He's... You know, like he's the most helpful. He's trying to get him a gun. He's giving her the ring that she uses to. And he's jamming riffs out on the guitar in the parade. Okay. I mean, he's selling beer to teenagers, but fuck, can I get a free ticket to the party? <laughs> like, what the fuck? The, uh, that was a funny scene where like the freshmen or the, you know, show up to the party and He's asking him questions about Black Sabbath. They're like, who's Black Sabbath? He's like, get the fuck off my lawn. Just, but we just, we want to know who Black's, get out of here. And the other cool thing about that guy is there were three posters. Two of them I remember. One was Kroll in his room. But the coolest fucking one, one of my favorite, all, all-time favorite movies, Death Wish 3. Yeah, it's weird how he's the most likable character in this movie. <laughs> so I don't know how much more up to the end you want to talk about, but I am going to say I'm going to jump past that. The very end, like the very, very end, after the killer is revealed and the heroine and the killer go at it and battle and stuff, she survives. There is the scene where it appears the killer has a mask on because he's probably burnt to shit because he got blew up, Um, is walking out. And I thought that was kind of cool, I guess, whatever. But the very end, the closet scene, and then it's a, you find out it's a dream sequence, it, it was just plain stupid. It was just dumb as shit, and it ended with one of my biggest pet peeves, terrible choice of outro music. I mean, I like The Misfits, but Where Eagles Dare just did not fit with the tone of the movie at all. Well, and it's almost like you want to know she survived, but I could care fucking less who's in bed next to her. She should be in bed alone, right? If you want anybody to have any feelings towards her, you put her alone. You don't put her with the guy that's been the asshole the whole movie. It would have made her more vulnerable to be alone. The mistake I keep making with movies, and I've made it probably for the past month, is I will watch something that I really enjoy. And I'm not doing it on purpose, but for the indie spotlight, I watched something that I was like, oh man, this was really fucking good. 
and then I watched the movie for Indie Spotlight, which was not bad. I enjoyed it, but I felt like if I wouldn't have watched that movie before that, I wouldn't have been maybe so difficult on it. And this is the same thing. I watched Dark Harvest earlier this week, which is a Halloween-based film, so it's a holiday film, but I really enjoyed Dark Harvest. It's got some mystery to it, too, but it doesn't lead you to think that there's mystery in Dark Harvest. It just kind of springs it on you, and then you're like, oh, my fucking God, like, shit. Kind of like you said, like, the reveal at the end of this, you're like, okay, whatever. Yeah, who the fuck cares? Dark Harvest, I cared about it, and this one I didn't. I'll agree, but I'm going to disagree because this is a little different than what you're saying, but I think it's the same idea. Uh, The past two, three weeks... Uh, pretty much ever since right around the time of Halloween, I've just kind of been having a shitty go. No big deal. You know, I'm not sitting here whining, not going to get any details. Just kind of been in a bad mood, just a bunch of good things and bad things going on, but just, you know, a little under par for what I'm used to. I watched Dark Harvest right at the, the tippy spear of that, and I enjoyed that movie. And I was in just a terrible fucking mood, and I enjoyed that movie. I went to see Thanksgiving. I was in a terrible fucking mood, and I didn't enjoy it. So I don't think my mood really affected. Plus, I was looking forward to to Thanksgiving. I mean, if anybody's listened to the past couple episodes, I was excited about this movie. I was waiting for Eli Roth to kind of prove himself to me. He doesn't have to prove himself to me, you know, but still, like, as a fan, I'm like, okay, I think this is going to be his hit that I enjoy. And I just didn't care for it. Yeah, when I got there, I saw uh, my friend Ian Higby was two rows back. And we kind of had that short conversation after the movie. We're all, we're both just kind of like, it was fine. But yeah, everything I told you earlier, I was trying to keep my expectations very low because just everything I've seen, everybody is loving this movie. And it it was fine. I'd watch it again. I told Ian, I'll fucking put Blood Rage on 50 times before I'd put this on. Did you see the nod to Blood Rage? Uh, I didn't pay that close attention to it. I was probably reaching for popcorn or something. I might be reaching for this nod, but there was uh, the scene where John Carver was preparing his dinner towards the end of the movie. They show him cooking this and cooking that. And then, of course, he cooks, prepares a lady to cook her like a turkey, uh, which is kind of a cool scene. But there's a close up of him stirring cranberry sauce. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's got to be blood rage. Yeah, I didn't connect it with blood rage. Well, I, I tell you what, like I said, Eli Roth, he's proven to me once again that he is a very knowledgeable horror fan. And I give him massive credit for creating a movie, emulating the mechanics and tones of, you know, multiple decades of slashers films. But his movies, just for me, they continue to lack that special something, just that ingredient that really makes it stand out. Do you feel like if you didn't find out who John Carver was at the end of the movie, it would have been better? I do, kind of. And also because... Again, I didn't care about the characters, but when I found out who the killer was, I was just like, really? And then when I found out the reason, I was just kind of like... Yeah, you don't endear him to anybody by saying, oh, you were cheating with your friend's wife and got her knocked up. Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, it was a horrible thing that she got killed. That doesn't endear me to anybody. It was very underwhelming. You know, and plus on top of that, this film, in my opinion, it added nothing to the subgenre. You know, and like like Scream did, Urban Legend did, I mean, hell, even Saw did. But this was just an imitation as flattery picture. You know, Eli Roth, he does really well at mimicking past influences, but just is lacking that special touch of soul that really makes a movie pop. We're downers, I'm telling you. So next year we're going to cover Thanksgiving too. No, the movie said there will be no leftovers. 
I'm sure they'll make another one. I mean, it seems like it's making, it's going to make money and people are loving it. So see, I even disagree with the tagline because there will be leftovers because after everything negative and terrible I've said about this movie, I am going to watch this at least one more time. There are things that I'm sure I missed because it was layered with references, you know, from character names to scenery. There was a lot of stuff that he threw in there that I'm hoping I can go back and watch a second time and pick some of those maybe Easter eggs or hidden references out and enjoy it a little more. It's going to be tough, though, because this it just overall was a weak story. Yeah, and now you know who the killer is, so you're not trying to figure that out. Wait, who's the killer? I fell asleep halfway through the movie, so I don't remember what happened. Oh, I don't remember. Somebody. John Carver. <laughs> yeah, John Carver. Damn pilgrims. Hey, I tell you what, everybody listening, though, please don't take my negative doldrum answer, you know, take on this movie. I mean, just don't ignore the fact that uh, inkmirrors.com, you can buy some really cool corn cob earplug John Carver killers. That was a fun part of the movie. I mean, there were some parts that you're like, oh, interesting. Like when maybe the one character that you feel sorry for is the Russian or the girl that her father's Russian gets thrown on top of the saw. The kid's holding her and like, what do I do? What do I do? And some funny, like the cop says to the Russian dad, when's the remodel done? And he says, never <laughs> or something. You know, like there was some stuff in there that was you know, kind of funny. But see, that's what I'm talking about that Eli does in his movies. It reminded me of the one of my all-time least favorite movies, Cabin Fever. In Cabin Fever, one of the reasons I hated that movie so much was you had the karate kid. It made no sense. And I'm like, why the fuck are you wasting your time on this stupid karate kid with a mullet, you know, on a rat tail or whatever it was? Same thing here. What was the point of making her dad Russian was it supposed to be for comedy relief like it just why are you wasting your time on that you know highlighting that of that character when you could be investing into making a better story or more suspense the characters that you liked the most got very little limelight I feel like the Russian dad would have been a fun character to develop you know the kid that's his dad has the gun shop a fun character to develop he got more than the Russian dad but I care more about those two characters than our leads. Anybody that got killed, you know, like I'm cheering for the dad and the stepmom to get killed. I want them gone. They're horrible people. I want them gone. I will point out one positive thing. I did like when they revealed the killer, how she figured out who the killer was. She, it was the little detail of the burrs from the woods on her pants. And then she saw them on the killer's pants, not knowing it was the killer. And then the line echoed, you know, the devils and the details, or it was something to that effect. So that was kind of neat. I, I appreciated that. I'll watch it again. It would be like, oh, it's Thanksgiving, and I want to watch some Thanksgiving horror movies. Well, Blood Rage is going to be first. It's not cranberry sauce. And then maybe Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble, motherfucker. And then maybe this. If it, again, wasn't for the, the gore, and specifically if it wasn't for the Thanksgiving table scene of madness towards the end. But I think this is, it's going to wind up being, because how many Thanksgiving horror films do we have? Not many to choose from. And I think because of that scene, which was a pretty cool scene. You know, I mean, the guy gets fed his burnt, cooked ex-wife. It's kind of a cool concept. Oh, his wife. So because of that scene, it's going to be a Thanksgiving movie that people watch for. I think I'm having a ham this year. I don't eat turkey anyway. That shit puts you to sleep. <laughs> well, definitely don't eat it if you're going to watch this movie. 
No, because you don't need to, because then you'll just pass into a coma. You got a rating? What do you think? I gave it a 6 out of 10 turkey stepmothers. 6 out of 10? That was pretty high. I mean, I didn't have a bad time watching it. I mean, some of the gore was fun. Some of the, I mean, the killer mask was kind of cool, especially at the end when it gets burnt. That was kind of cool. I was like, man, that would be a, and maybe this is part of it too. I was like, that would be a cool cosplay. You know, like we have a lot of friends that do cosplay and do amazing jobs. I was like, man, that would be a cool cosplay. I mean, pretty simple, but especially if you can do the burnt mask, you know, the John Carver burnt mask. I didn't understand the point of it, though. He takes his plastic mask off. He lays it on the oven. He picks it up. He puts it on. And then after he wears it for a few minutes, he grabs a fresh new one. And I was like, is that supposed to be foreshadowing because he gets burnt at the end of the movie? Like, that's weak. I think it's foreshadowing for Spirit Halloween sales next year. You can buy the burnt John Carver <laughs> yeah. mask or the regular John Carver mask. Which one do you want to buy? It's Spirit Halloween in 2024. That is funny. The variant cover. Well, I got a question. And so that is, like we said, it seems like a lot of people that we know or see on social media seem to like this movie. Or I think it was earlier today that you were listening to Attack of the Killer podcast and they were talking about this movie. Did they, you, you said you turned it off because, oh, you hadn't seen the movie yet. I'm in a chat with a bunch of people that are supporters of that show. So we're in like a chat together and a lot of people were talking about it. So I was like, I got to mute this for a day, two days until after I see the movie, just in case. The little bit that you heard, did it seem favorable? Oh, Yeah. Are you and I on an islander? You and myself and Ian Higby, we're just going to go watch Strange Behavior and say, fuck Eli Roth? Is that what we're doing? I don't think in the long run we will be. I think in the long run people will be more like, it was okay. It was fine. You know, it won't be like anybody's top five horror films unless they're maybe 12, you know, when this came out. But I think, like you said, people are just so thirsty for a new slasher. I mean, they foreshadow it at the end. He couldn't survive a blast like that. We found ashes, but nothing. Anything. People are going to eat up anything that's possibly new. You know what this movie solidified, don't you? Oh, hard telling. This ain't hard telling with me. This movie solidified that the best slasher remains to be and still world champion, My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, and we never got another one of those. Damn it. Yeah, we do. So while we got Valentine Bluffs. Uh, well, yeah. I know you didn't get an you didn't get an official studio sequel. There's still time. Somebody can grab that and make it, right? Oh, George is still around. What do you rate this thing? Let's give it a number. Oh, no, yeah, you did. Yeah, I said six out of ten. It was so bad that you forgot what I said. Cut that part out. I want, I'm giving you a chance to re-rate it. Go lower. Go lower. <laughs> so I'm going to give you my rating, and mine is 5.5. Five and a half ugly toes out of ten. Yours was about the burnt wife or burnt stepmom or whatever. Dude, he was based in her. She's got the ugliest toes I've ever seen in my life. Just, ugh. Even with the parsley between them? Well, they might have been tasty, but they look, did not look appetizing. <laughs> he used a lot of salt. He likes. He must like his turkey salty. Yeah, five and a half out of ten. Um, again, to me, five is average. So if it's on, I'm like, oh, that's on. I'll watch it. I gave it I gave it the five and a half because I, I do intend to watch this at least one more time to see the things I didn't see. But yeah, this is, uh, it was a dud for me. Siskel and Ebert give it two thumbs down. Well, and I think we talked about this with the indie spotlight is, again, going back to Dark Harvest, 
that was not a wide release movie that I remember. I mean, it may have screened some places. I don't remember it showing where I live, but I like that so much more. It's enough outside of that Hollywood mold that I enjoyed that a lot more than this. You know what? Wow. You want me me to tell you the secret? It's got pumpkins in it? No. It had a really good story. It was a good story. Dark Harvest was a great story. Thanksgiving was not. You know what else has a great story? Hopefully it's a lot cooler than Thanksgiving. Our podcast network, the PFPN. So we should hear from them. They are cooler than Thanksgiving. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So now that we've heard from our podcast network, it's time for This Day in Horror History. Time for some education. A date which will live in infamy. So the two weeks after this episode... We're kind of slow. I mean, it's after Halloween, the holiday season's in full swing. The demon of Mariah Carey has busted down the doors. It's kind of like, you know, in uh, Army of Darkness when they get inside the castle. That's what Mariah Carey's done now. She's in the castle. She's turned over Ash's car. You remember that part of the movie? I do. I always equate the demon of Mariah Carey, the demon of Christmas Mariah Carey. I'm not going to bash Mariah Carey, but we'll bash Christmas Mariah Carey. I always equated the demon of Mariah Carey Christmas time to Sindel from Mortal Kombat. She was like Shang Tsung's wife and she had the long hair and she her voice would echo and just kill everything. Another funny thing quick before we do the it's mostly movies. It, it was mostly movies. I mean, there were some birthdays in there, but I was like, yeah, let's just talk about movies. Tiffany loves Hallmark. Every Hallmark movie is pretty much the same. But I stumbled across a meme yesterday and it was like these scientists all studying something. It says Hallmark scientists on the verge of a second movie or something like that. Uh, a movie plot on the verge of second movie plot. <laughs> right, because every Hallmark movie is the same. Just, and, and it all they all have a recycled cast <laughs> yeah <laughs> she didn't reply <laughs> that's funny so on november 29th on this godzilla heavy episode of the i like spooky horror podcast in 2004 godzilla final wars and if i remember that one that's kind of the crazy one with there's an american general in it that screams the whole movie it's it's not bad i mean it's it's a godzilla movie and then on november 30th misery 1990 December 2nd, we get Scrooge, 1951. Saturday the 14th in 1988. Saturday the 14th. It says Saturday the 14th Strikes Back. Is that still the same movie? No, no, it was a sequel. There was Saturday the 14th and then Saturday the 14th Strikes Back. And believe it or not, Strikes Back is kind of lame. It's just a screwball 80s, nothing serious, kind of a cult following type movie. But if I had to choose between the two, I'm watching the first one all day. Well, the the first one's kind of goofbally too. I mean, 
there's some spots where you're like, oh, this is going to become more rated R than PG-13, but it flips right back. Um, and then on December 3rd, we got London After Midnight in 1927, Horror Express in 1972, All Hallows Eve in 2007. I almost left that one out there, but I was like, it's it gives us Art the Clown as bad as it is. I didn't dislike All Hallows' Eve. It's not one of those movies where I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go watch it again. I didn't hate it. I've I've seen worse. That's a weird release date for All Hallows' Eve. Yeah, December 3rd. But London After Midnight and Horror Express. Plus, uh, I I think I covered Unspilled the Guts a while back. But uh, So NECA in 2024 sometime, which knowing NECA, it'll wind up being 2025, is they're doing a London After Midnight figure. And speaking of Horror Express, they're doing a Christopher Lee Horror Dracula figure also. God, that movie is so good. And it I was so late to that one. I think it's been within the last six months I saw Horror Express. And I think I only went back to it because of the Creepshow episode with Justin Long. It kind of reminded you like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while. I need to see it. And then uh, December 4th. This is probably one of the favorite movies that I've stumbled on when I did my you know deep dive into horror movies. In 1988, Pin. Did you ever see Pin? Mm-mm. Uh, like a psychological uh, horror movie with... Uh, a mannequin. Pen is the mannequin, and it's weird to explain. He's never comes to life like the one in the you know that eighties comedy. It was called Mannequin. I love yeah. that movie. Yeah, I do too. Pen never comes to life, but people still end up dead because of Pen. I guess. I yeah. You have my interest. Um, and then on December 9th, nineteen eighty three, Christine. Again, just kind of a weird date for some of these movies to come out. Misery makes sense just because it has snow in it, but. Plus, you know, misery, you have to spend time with your family through the holidays for some people, you know. And then uh, 1988, Troma's War. I don't know that it matters with Troma what day they put movies out. It does not. No, there's no sense to any of that. But with Christine, you know, we just got the dates for Flashback next year. And Christine was on the front of that logo. So I don't know if they just recycled the logo from last year or if they have something bigger planned with the Christine thing. I would assume they're just recycling stuff. Mike and Mia, I was actually surprised to see that. Usually they're pretty good about, I don't know if I should say pretty good, but they, they, they usually wait till kind of like after the holidays. You'll see them say, hey, we're going to announce ticket sales soon. We want to make sure everybody's got their holiday shopping paid off. Like They seem to really care about their, their audience. So I was surprised to see it so soon. Excited, for sure. Yeah, maybe they're just like, let's get this out to people so they can start planning now. I've actually noticed quite a few horror conventions because, you know, I book them all for withinkmirrors.com. I've seen quite a few already post table sales for next year's events when I would normally not see them till the second or third week of January. Yeah, I wonder how the actor strike ending will affect, you know, people and their filming and stuff. So, again, maybe they're trying to stay ahead of the game and trying to get people. That's an interesting point. So, you know, we were actually in the beginning of 2023 here. We were worried because of the strike about the continuation of horror conventions. And we've actually, they've been flooded with a lot of great stars. Not that they haven't before this, but still, they just seem to be flooded with great stars. Going into 2024 and and 2025 is now that the strike's over, is that flood going to be dammed off? Because now those actors are busy working on projects and whatnot. Maybe they'll be busy working on projects and some of their autograph prices will come down. That would be nice because they're getting out of hand. I noticed this week again, a couple people like, I'm cutting down who I'm getting autographs are because people's prices are just through the roof. I mean, one person said I was going to get four or five. Now I'm getting two, if that. What I've noticed about that is it's kind of gone to the next step is the 
outrageous price of some of these celebrities that they charge for photos and autographs and experiences. It's stepping out of just general conversations and it's turning into memes. It's turning into kind of like a part of social fabric. I don't know. That's kind of a weird explanation, but so I think hopefully there's going to be a change coming. It'll be interesting. There's there was shows last year where there was nobody that I was like I I would like to, but not for sixty bucks. You know, sixty bucks I can buy two or three movies. I can buy three T shirts from Ink Mayors. I can buy three toys from Ink Mayors. I you know stuff that I could take home and to me has value. You can buy lotion from Bath and Body Works. I could, yeah, not three of them for sixty bucks. Not at Bath and Body Works. It's Christmas. There's got to be a, coup- a coupon coming up. Oh yeah, I get I get text messages all the time. Hey Brian. Yeah. What's going on? Not a trip to Bath and Body Works. <laughs> Hell, I don't. I might be going back to Bath and Body Works. I don't know that I have anything. I mean, it's kind of our slow season. We, you know, we just caught Thanksgiving in the theaters. That's one thing I didn't talk about on the poor segment is I ordered another big movie rack. I have a stack of movies over here that aren't on the shelf. So I'm going to put that together and kind of rearrange the office. So you might get a different view the next time that we record. I need to make some videos. I have stuff sitting around here that I need to get on the TikTok and YouTube so our listeners can see it. And I can share with them. But yeah, other than that, just hanging out around the house, weatherproofing the windows and all that good stuff, settling in for a long winter's nap. I miss those days. I used to, you know, haunt season rolled me into peak season at UPS. And then January and February, I would just kind of hibernate and I get caught up on movies and just relax. And it was kind of my downtime that, that, that doesn't exist anymore. And it's a good problem to have. There's a couple things going on so the first thing that's going on it's already i think it just happened let me look at my calendar here so this episode comes out on the 26th correct so one thing that already happened was you all got to hear hopefully you listened if you didn't go back and check it out through our episode list uh, anywhere you get your podcasts look up the i like a spooky horror podcast and our first episode of indie spotlight came out and we kicked it all off with the discussion of a film called darius and I can't wait for the next indie episode to come out because we still don't know as of this recording if we're covering a book or recovering a comic book or recovering a band or a movie. I think it's going to be a really fun show continuing. That's happened. That came out. Pretty cool stuff. But now what you have all been waiting for, maybe some of you, maybe no one gives a shit, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And I'm going to try to keep it short because I could probably fill a whole episode with all of the details of this news. Maybe if I'm ever interviewed, I'll spill all my guts. I have been working since August with a haunted house local to me here in Southern Mid-Michigan. There's a stretch of area called Irish Hills, about 10 minutes from my house. Irish Hills is located on US 12, which US 12 was the main highway between Detroit and Chicago before the 60s when they built uh, 94. So 12 was always this booming area, and it was a huge, this specific stretch of road, it was a huge tourist area. I grew up going down there. There was prehistoric forest. There was the Irish Twin Towers. There was Stagecoach Stop, which is like an old west town where you could go for reenactments of shootouts and stuff. There was Golden Nugget, which is a wonderful restaurant I used to go to with my grandpa. They had really good prime rib. There was putt-putt places, go-kart tracks. It was just a fun place to be, and over time, 
most of those businesses because of 94 and just lack of traffic and interest have just kind of fallen to the wayside. Some have been demolished. Stagecoach stop and across the street, the Golden Nuggets still are standing and exist. And they were purchased about 10 years ago by some people from the Monroe, Michigan area. And they run a haunt haunt there at Stagecoach. And they also do uh, weddings. They rent it out for weddings. Um, They have a motel there. If you remember us, hinting about Clint might have a place for you to stay. I do. There are 13 rooms at this beautifully remodeled motel attached to this whole complex. Uh, Long babbling story short, I've been in talks with uh, the owners since August. As of this recording, we hashed out some terms. We have a handshake deal. We're awaiting some paperwork to be drawn up and make everything legal and official and finalized. And I am stepping back into the haunt world. We are building an all-year-round now, I shouldn't say building because everything's already there. We're just developing an all year round 24, well, not 24 hours, an all year round 22 acre haunt complex. And we're going to have all kinds of different entertainment stuff. We're going to have axe throwing. We're going to have escape rooms. We're going to have smash rooms. We're going to have live events. We're going to show movies. We're going to have bands. We're going to have the haunted house, which is super entailed. We're going to have themed rooms to rent. We're going to be developing a film festival. We're going to be working on other holiday related type things like Christmas light walkthroughs and maybe even some evil Santa escape the killer type stuff. I could go on and on and on, but it's very exciting for me. I'm hoping it's very exciting for people people in the area and can draw other people in. Hoping it's exciting for Brian because Brian, I think, is going to help me out with some of the film festival stuff. Everything I'm babbling about starts now. Actually, by the time you're hearing this episode, I'm going to be spending my winter that I used to hibernate over there cleaning, painting, cutting, enhancing, calling, planning. I'm excited. I cannot wait to jump in. Everything I'm discussing and things that I left out because I could just go on and on um, is probably going to take three to five years to fully develop the whole plan. That's how massive everything is. I'm hoping here come late spring of 2024 that part of this entertainment complex is going to be able to be available to come enjoy and hang out and have fun at. So and be scared because both places are really haunted. Seriously. Yeah, I think it's exciting for us, our listeners, and I mean, and our friends. I mean, Chuck Ryan and Brent Edgett and Jim from, why can't I think of Jim's last name? The helicopter zombie. Jim Crutt. Yeah, Jim Crutt. This small growing community of friends that we've built that we can highlight and share this with, bring them in hopefully and have them not help really, but highlight their talents. There's just so many talented people that there's not enough places for them to go. And this is another place for them to go and show their talents and get some therapy. I think that's one thing that we miss a lot maybe on the show is a lot of this is therapy for us. Watching these movies as as part of healing maybe or just relaxing. It sounds like you going to do the haunt thing as some kind of therapy. It lets you release some, you know, things. No, as as a Haunt actor, it very much is. In fact, um, you brought up Brent Edgett. So Brent just got back from working with... Um, Peter Anthony. Thank you. I couldn't think of Peter's last name. I was going to say Jackson. I knew I was wrong. Come on. Uh, Peter Anthony is working on his own project called Laugh. And they just brought, he just brought a bunch of people in over to Connecticut to shoot. Uh, I think they shot for five days for a trailer. They're, he's just getting going on that project. And, you know, Brent came in and did whatever he did, his involvement. And he got home and he was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm back home. And yeah, because you get that. I said, yeah, it's just like after Haunt, the After Haunt Blues or After Halloween Blues. As a scare actor and Brent 
specifically can relate to this. You get those demons out, you get that bad day out, you get that shit that's been you know, nagging at you out. And when you're done, it's almost like after sex, just I want to have a cigarette and go to sleep. I'm so relaxed. So as a performer from that aspect of it, yeah, it's very much therapy, but something else you're talking about too, Brian, and something that I'm very excited. This isn't just, oh, I'm going to build a haunted house. This whole thing is very interconnected with everything that we do. So it's also going to highlight the community that we always talk about because I can bring so many different aspects of this genre and our community together in different ways ways. And I can also highlight things like um, Peter Anthony's laugh. You know, Peter Anthony could scream laugh there and he can come in and I have a place for him where he could show it and meet his fans and, and meet people who enjoy his movie and sign autographs and talk about it or whatever. I have places where I'm going to be able to, this place is going to have three gift shops. I have places where I can highlight Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumballs machines. I can highlight very fine crab videos, masks, all these great companies of people I know who travel to the convention circuit and have great products. I have a place for them if they want to, to actually have a physical store for some of their stuff. I could go on and on. There's nothing but positivity for everybody from this complex. And like I say, I almost hate to call it a haunted house because that's one of the driving forces, but it's just a small component in this whole entertainment complex. I'm excited. If you can't tell by the sound of my voice, so am I. And I tell you what, I've got a lot of hard work ahead of me and it's going to take years to finally fully develop this thing. This is, I, I am blessed. I was handed this opportunity on a silver platter. I do feel that I earned it as far as coming up and doing all the things that I do and, and taking hits and losses and different entertainment things I've, I've tried, but I think I was able to build a small reputation for myself to where I was recognizable, to where I wasn't just some schmuck down the street. But with that said, I have been handed this wonderful opportunity on a silver platter. And I guess if I had a message to anybody about sounding too hokey, I mean, I guess it is the holiday season. Your dreams can come true. Don't give up. Stick it out. Keep fucking grinding because sooner or later, it's going to happen. Whatever you want to do, it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm not a big Jelly Roll fan. I don't know. You know who Jelly Roll is. He just won like a bunch of country music awards, but he, you know, he went to prison and he was in drugs and in gangs. And one of the things he said that's getting a lot of reaction from people is that the window on the front of the car is bigger than the rear view for a reason. You know, the windshield is bigger than the than the back window for a reason. I'm not a Jelly Roll fan, but I believe in all of that, especially uh, what you said he went through was a little bit darker than what I'm talking about. But still, it's a, it's the same concept. Something else I want to mention about this place, too, and you're going to hear me talk more about this throughout the episode. Sorry, you're stuck with it. The people that are involved in that area right now in the Stagecoach Stop which is known as Haunting in the Hills during the haunt season, and the old Golden Nugget restaurant. The people involved, and people who were involved and have gone now, people who have shown up to contribute small parts of keeping this place um, alive, whether it was contributing as a haunt actor, or some people were trying to set up an escape room, or just some media attention that was brought to the place. They've all contributed to laying this really solid foundation for me to build off of. So, especially listeners in the area who have like, what? I thought that was going to be this, or I thought this guy had a part of it. They did and they don't anymore, but God bless their, their contributions because it has laid foundations for me to light this place on fire. Thank you. Well, it sounds like you're busy for the next two years. For the rest of my life. Yeah, we could just put that in. What are we up to? Just cut that out and put it in there. 
be short, easy to edit, right? It is exciting to finally be able to talk about it. To you know, I have a few select people like you, Brian, and some people close to me who know know the details. But by the time you hear this, I think I would have made an official announcement on my social media and stuff like that. But it's really hard to keep because I'm so excited. It's really hard to keep this under wraps. And I can't. I, again, I'm getting ready to say more stuff about it, but I'm going to stop. I'll save it for some other episodes. There's a lot of great stuff coming. So now that we've talked about horror news, why we're poor, the movie Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble, slash, motherfucker. Gobble, gobble, slash. Horror history, what we're up to. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to In Die Spotlight, Indie Horror, Indie Spotlight. I'm just so excited about this subcast of the podcast. I think it'll be one of the funnest ones that we do. So as of this recording, it hasn't released yet. And I sent it out to Brian, you know who I'm talking about. There's a couple people I always kind of send things to for feedback. And um, these people don't bullshit me. They're close to us, but they don't, you know, if, they, if it sucks, they tell me. And I've got nothing but positive feedback. What else we got? Spill the Guts for Clint's Horror News. Mishmash with Leah Stalker from Pure Macabre for your Michigan horror happenings. You know, Mint Monsters. I don't, we don't have anything that cool in Illinois. What the hell do they even call us? Illinoisans. Overtaxed assholes. Um, they call you Chicago. That's what they call you. What else we got? Crackle and Redbox streaming apps. You know, appendages. You're free. Free. That's important this time of year. Anything you can get for free, take it. This is the time of year where you're spending a lot of money on a lot of things. Kind of like the 19 plus episodes we put out each month. They're all free and enjoy. If you guys want to send us money, you can. Absolutely. I hope you guys are having a happy Thanksgiving. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, it is the sharing season. So I hope you're eating at Alice's Restaurant. Thanksgiving little plug there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google up Alice's Restaurant and enjoy the song. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. But it's a sharing season, so how about you share the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast with someone you love. Till next time. Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?